بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد. And tonight we continue with one of the reminders of Sheikh Salih ibn Thaymin ta'ala. And in tonight's reminder we look at uh, when fasting was made compulsory. When fasting was made compulsory upon the Ummah. And likewise the different stages that led to fasting being made compulsory. And how it was made compulsory and what was made compulsory. And likewise we will look at a third point which is upon whom is fasting compulsory upon whom is fasting the month of ramadan and it compulsory so shaykh salih ibn thaymin he mentions as for the first one and regarding and pertaining to when the fasting of the month of ramadan was made compulsory upon the ummah he said this occurred in the second year after the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ to Al-Madina. Okay, the second year after the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ. And he said, likewise, zakah, the compulsory charity from a person's wealth that was made compulsory, likewise, in the second year after the hijrah, according to some of the opinions of the people of knowledge, the scholars. So he says, and this in the second and the year of hijrah. So the Prophet وسلم, he spent 13 years in Makkah before he migrated to Al-Madina. 13 years. And in those 13 years, the call of the Prophet was revolving around and the Tawheed. Meaning, some of the actions, for example, fasting, zakah, etc., they were not made compulsory in Makkah, but they were made compulsory later on. Whilst within those 13 years of al Madina, the main focus of the da'wah of the Prophet the main focus of the verses of the Qur'an, they were revolving around Tawheed, making people understand Tawheed, calling them to Tawheed, and calling them away from shirk, calling them towards La ilaha illallah and Muhammad rasulullah to testify and to accept and to live by that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we see for 13 years the main focus in Makkah was revolving around Tawheed, calling towards Tawheed and warning people against shirk. And when he moved to Al-Madina sallallahu alayhi wa sallam due to the uh, difficulty in Makkah, due to the severity of the punishment of the mushrikeen upon the muslimin, Allah gave him the permission to move to Al-Madina, to migrate to Al-Madina. And it is in Al-Madina that many of the actions and the other actions were made compulsory and upon the ummah when they and he built and the, how you can say, the first Islamic city. Yeah? The first Islamic city in which the Muslims had freedom to practice their Islam. Had freedom and to, uh, to do what they want, basically, in Al-Madina. So, in the second year, so the first year when he reached Al-Madina, fasting was not compulsory. 
And in the year after that, fasting was made compulsory upon the Ummah. So the Prophet ﷺ, he fasted nine months of Ramadan, okay, nine months in total, before he passed away. And his time that he spent in Al Madinah before he passed away was 10, was 10 years. The Shaykh continues and he says, so when the first stage, when fasting was legislated, the first stage was that there was a choice. Okay, the first stage was a choice. Whosoever wanted to fast, you have the choice to fast. And whosoever wanted to instead feed a poor person instead of fasting, then they had that choice. Okay, so in the first stage, when fasting was prescribed upon the ummah, there was a choice. If you wanted to fast, then you fasted. If you chose not to fast, but instead you had to feed a poor person and for that, for that day. So then after that, fasting was made compulsory specifically upon everybody, every single Muslim, of course, who fit and met those conditions that we will discuss uh, in a moment. So in that stage, fasting was made compulsory upon everybody and it was a must for everybody to fast. It was a must for everybody to fast. So the Sheikh says, so therefore the stages in the legislation of fasting was in two stages. The first one where there was the choice, at-takhir. And the second one was ta'yeen as sawm where fasting was made compulsory upon every single person. He says, likewise, there was another stage, we can call it another stage, whereby when, if a person prayed Isha or went to sleep, even if it was before praying Isha, then at that point, it was impermissible for a person to eat and drink and to have marital relations until Maghrib the next day. So that was another sort of like stage okay, the, the Sheikh mentioned okay, before it was prescribed like we fast now from uh, Fajr, from Fajr until Maghrib. So if in that time, if a person were to go to sleep okay, in the night or they prayed Isha, even if they went to sleep before Isha, so at that point of going to sleep, of praying Isha, they will not be able afterwards to wake up and eat and drink and have marital relations. Okay? But if they stayed awake, then they could still and you do so. Meaning up until Fajr, up until uh, Isha. So that was another uh, point. And now, when it changed from that to what we have, what we practice now, we are allowed to eat and drink, even have marital relations, throughout the night and if before before Fajr even if we go to sleep even if we decide to sleep uh, after Maghrib before Isha a little bit or after Isha until Fajr we still can wake up <coughs> and eat and drink and have marital relations and then put our intention and then fast from daybreak till Maghrib so the Sheikh says then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
then Allah made it easier and removed this, meaning that people were allowed to go to sleep, etc., and eat and drink and fast from daybreak till Maghrib. Now, the conditions. Fasting the month of Ramadan is compulsory upon the Muslims, as we say. But there are certain conditions. Those Muslims have to fit certain conditions for it to be compulsory. For example, one of those conditions is Al-Islam, to be a Muslim. Here the Sheikh says Al-Islam. The second one is Al-Bulugh, reaching the age of puberty. Number three, Al-Aqlu, meaning a person is sane. Yeah, they have their mental faculties. They are a normal person. They understand things normally. And he says, Al-Qudratu, the ability to fast. Number five, Al-Iqama, to be a resident. And number six, he says, Intifa'ul Mani'. Certain things that prevent fasting when they are absent. When they are absent. And we will and he discuss each point, inshallah, as the Sheikh has mentioned. He says, As for Al-Islam, then the opposite of it is disbelief. The opposite of it is disbelief. So therefore, he says, fasting is not compulsory upon a non-Muslim. Fasting is not compulsory upon a disbeliever. And we do not compel them to fast. We do not tell them that you have a need to fast the month of Ramadan. If a non-Muslim accepts Islam, we do not tell them to make up the fast of all of the month of, Ram of, all of, the month of Ramadan that has passed. Okay, we do not tell them to make up the fast that they have missed, even the previous years. It's because a non-Muslim, before he accepts Islam, he is not from the people of uh, worship, the people of Islam, who's prescribed upon them only these actions of worship. Even if a person, a non-Muslim, fasts, then the fast is not accepted from them and they are not uh, rewarded for it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not accept because of the absence of al-Islam, the, the absence of true and the Iman. And the Sheikh says, so when a non-Muslim accepts Islam, we do not command them to make up the fast that they have, have missed. It says, if a person accepts Islam within the month of Ramadan, within the month of Ramadan, he becomes a Muslim. We do not make it compulsory upon them to, re to replace the days that they've missed from the start of Ramadan. And likewise, he says, if a person accepts Islam in the middle of the day, okay, and we're fasting, for example, let's say Dhuhr time, Asr time, he becomes a Muslim. We do not tell them that they have to replace that day. They don't have to replace any that day. But the Sheikh says, but we tell them to refrain from that point. We tell them to refrain from eating and drinking and have marital relations, and he from that point till the end of that day but they do not have to replace that day and itself. As for the second um, 
as for one of the other conditions which is al-aqlu yeah person possesses their mental faculties they understand things and he properly he says the opposite of it is insanity yeah insanity or a person has lost their mental faculties due to it could be an accident it could be due to uh, something they were born the way they were born okay so a person does not understand things correctly they do not see things correctly as a normal person so they do not understand basically they have to do certain things things that are bad they don't see as bad for example so for them they are within that state and of of mind and it could be a person who's reached an old age as well that they've lost their mental faculties the ability to understand things properly okay even if they were a muslim they were understanding everything early on during their lives before they reached the old age, old age and they became in a state where they lost their mental faculties they don't understand things properly they forget things they don't understand about fasting ramadan okay so in this case the sheikh says uh, the for these uh, people we there is no expiation for them there is no kafara so we not tell that we not say to them that you have to feed a poor person because the pen has been raised from them they are in a state where the pen has been raised and he, from them and they're not from the ahlu at taklif they're not from the people at that point whom these actions of worship are compulsory upon them why because they simply don't understand they're in a state of mind where they simply and he don't understand as for puberty then the opposite of it is being young being young below the age of puberty and it says the a child who's below the ale at the age of puberty we do not make it compulsory upon them to fast it is not compulsory Allah has not made it compulsory and if for them to fast but for a child there is a ruling that is different okay, a ruling that is different compared to the person who's lost their mental faculties person who's insane because he says if a child fasts then their fasting is correct and they are rewarded for it okay their fasting is correct but if a person who is insane fasts, it is not accepted from them because they are not from the people who fasting is accepted from them but the sheikh says it is uh, some of the scholars have said that it is compulsory for the guardians and the parents of the children to command them to fast yeah so that they may get used to and accustomed and to fasting that's very very important point because if the children are being told to fast and they fast from still a young age and before the age of puberty as much as they can when they get to the age of puberty fasting is easy for them they're used to it they know how to do it they can deal with it on the other hand if a child was not told how to fast and they were not commanded to fast they were not encouraged to fast when they reach the age of puberty what will happen reach the age of puberty and then suddenly that child has to fast and he's never fasted before 
what will happen? Difficulty. Difficulty. And that child may not be able at that point, even in reaching the age of puberty, may not be able to fast the whole month of Ramadan. They might find it very difficult. And they might hide the fact that they're not fasting. So it creates a lot of difficulty for them. So how to remove this difficulty from them is from before, many years before, you tell them to fast. Even if it's a couple of days, a couple of hours a day, depending on their ability. And you build them up as, as they go along through the years. And when they reach the age of puberty, then fasting is compulsory upon them. If they don't, they are sinful. So at that point, then they will be able and need to deal with fasting because they, have, they are accustomed uh, to it. And he said that the Salaf, the Sahabas, the Sahabas, they used to encourage their children to fast. And when they cried of hunger or thirst, they used to give them a toy to distract them. Give them a toy and need to distract them. So that they are able to reach Maghrib and they're still fasting and open the fast honey, with the people and, and enjoy honey, that time. As for the ability, the Sheikh says, then the opposite of this is the opposite of his inability. And this is of two types an ability which is continuous and an inability which is only for a specific period of time. So as the inability, Al-Ajzu, Al-Mustamir, an inability to fast which is continuous. For example, those who reach an old age and they are unable to fast. They are unable to cope with fasting. Their body is weak and they are unable to cope with fasting. Okay, so now that person is unable to fast continuously. Even if next year they'll be, still be the same because they're old. And the year after that, etc., etc. Or the inability due to a, an illness, an illness which the person has, which the doctors don't hope, they don't see that it is possible for that person to be cured from that illness. And it is a type of illness that weakens a person. That person has to take medicine, for example, if they fast, it can cause serious harm to them. Or if they don't take their medicine throughout the day, it can cause serious harm to them. So there is an inability to fast due to an illness which is continuous with that person. So for them, what do they do instead of fasting is that they feed a poor person for each day of Ramadan that they have missed. To feed a poor person and with a meal, with a meal, a normal meal. A person could fast one Kutari could feed one poor person every day of Ramadan or he could gather 30 poor people together and feed all of them okay, in one day. There's different ways whereby a person can, can do so. And the second type of inability is a type of inability which is it's not continuous. It's only for a period of time. For example, a person is ill with an illness which is severe, but the doctors hope that the person is going to get better soon or better within a few days, a week, two weeks, a few months, etc., etc. Now for this person with this type of inability to fast at that point in Ramadan where they've reached, for them, they wait 
and they have to replace those days that they've missed after Ramadan where their health is given back to them by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where they have the ability again I need to to fast then the other condition is al-iqama to be a resident now a traveler has the choice to fast and not to fast but a resident they have to fast if they are healthy so when a person is traveling they have the ability or they have the choice to fast and not to fast but of course the scholars say it is better to fast in travel if there is no difficulty upon you and it is better not to fast if there is difficulty upon you but fast uh, the person who's traveling and decides not to fast the month of Ramadan due to his travel for a few days or a few weeks etc or the whole month of Ramadan for example if they are traveling only for a long period of time they have to replace it after Ramadan. They have to replace it and after Ramadan. And the last condition, where there is an, an absence of certain things that prevent fasting. And that is in the case for and the woman, the ladies. So if a woman is not in the state of menses, and they're not in a state of, of postpartum. Therefore, they have to fast. But when they start their menses or they've given birth and they are in the state of postpartum, therefore, fasting is not accepted from them and they do not fast. But of course, the Sheikh mentions they have to replace the fast uh, afterwards. And some of the scholars have mentioned if they fee for themselves, for example, the one who is breastfeeding, or pregnant if they fee for themselves or their child they do not fast yeah and there is no replacing of the, the fast you know afterwards so we get these uh, these two opinions only from the scholars the Sheikh mentions if a woman is fasting during the day of Ramadan she starts her menses therefore that day is invalidated and she has to replace that day but if she starts her menses just a few seconds after Maghrib, for example, then her fast for that day is still correct. He says there is an incorrect belief with some women that if they start their menses before they pray Maghrib, then their fast for that day is incorrect. That's what the Sheikh says some women believe. Say so that is incorrect, he says. If they reach Maghrib, even if they've not opened their fast yet and their menses start and they've reached Maghrib and they fast for the whole day, that fast for that day is valid. It is accepted. <laughs> so this is what the Sheikh has to mention regarding uh, these any points of the conditions of fasting and how of the stages of the obligation of fasting and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to increase us in beneficial knowledge and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to increase us in righteous actions